0: If you turn with me to the passage on which today's scripture is based, it comes from Genesis chapter 13. It's also printed in page 8 in your bulletins, and I'll be reading from verse 1 through 18. Genesis chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There, Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed there, stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at the time. So Abram said to Lot, "'Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, "'or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. "'Is not the whole land before you? "'Let's part company. "'If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. "'If you go to the right, I'll go to the left.'" Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt toward Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes from where you are, and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. And this is God's word.
1: Yeah, at this time, you've uh, been going through our sermon series, um, The Blueprint of Redemption. We're navigating through the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and we're seeing God's redemptive plan for all of creation and for you and I, and how through that redemption plan, meaning his plan is restorative for you and I, so there is great hope and joy because of that plan that is for us and for his glory. And Today and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be focusing a little bit more within the Advent season of mind. that is, is a season of joy and thanksgiving and the birth of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see for the next couple of weeks the life of Abraham and through him a family of hope. And we will see the birth of a son. So let's dive into the word this morning. You know what makes... Christianity, unlike any other world religions out there, is that salvation is not based out of any form of works righteousness, nor is it based on any amount of religiosity. Rather, the Christian faith is on this statement truth that salvation is by faith and faith alone to unpack that just a little bit for us it means that your ticket entrance to heaven it can't be bought with the number of years you've been serving at a church it can't be purchased with the number of times that you've prayed It's not based on the number of times you've had dinner with someone in the church, and that's your ticket as a good deed. Your ticket entrance to heaven was bought at the cost of Jesus Christ's atoning sacrifice on the cross. That is what we see in the Bible. What does that mean for us? You can be a congregant in this room. Probably already sleeping during the sermon. I see, like, two of y'all already. Um, You know, it could be the one speaking to you guys on the pulpit. You can have a platform, even like a Kanye West, right? We all can have... Different types and shapes and forms of where we are, but under the sovereignty of God, there really is no spiritual differentiation. That we all have the same ticket entrance and it was at the same cost, despite whatever platform you and I may be on. And with that in mind, when we look into one known as Abraham, he was to consider to be one of the most prominent historical figures not just in the bible but of history abraham a father of the faith within the three major world religions we even see that a man like abraham is simply saved because of god's grace grace excuse me and his faith in him. That's why we find in Hebrews chapter 11 that he would be in the hall of faith, and it is by faith he has been saved. And it is the same faithful God that we find in today's text. It's the same faithful God in your life right now, that in our wandering, in our seasons, in our suffering, in our brokenness, we find a very faithful God from beginning and to end. So throughout our time and as we navigate through two main characters of today's text, we're going to see what it means to know uh, more about who God is and that how our life is based on faith alone and that how faith, faith will radically shape our lives and how the gospel can be our greatest hope, and joy. And we find that today through two particular people, Abraham and Lot. And through Abraham and Lot, we're going to see three main points for the morning. This morning, we're going to go through the unbelief of Lot, the first main character. Secondly, the faith of Abraham. And finally, the promises of God. The unbelief of Lot, the faith of Abraham, and the promise of God. First point, the unbelief of Lot. Now, in chapter 13, uh, we're continuing in the life of Abraham. And as we're navigating through one known as Abraham, we find another important person in his life. His name is Lot. Now, who is Lot? Lot was Abraham's nephew. And what we find in Abraham's journey is that Lot went with him in this journey to the promised land. See, in this life, you and I, we we need some close friends. We need some brothers. We need some sisters. We need some day ones, if you will. And they need to journey side by side with you. For Abraham, this was Lot. What's happening? Well, in verse 5, it tells us, that just like any side by side journey, there's bound to be uh, some difficulties. And in the side by side journey with friends and family that are surrounding you, there's going to be some conflict. What's happening in verse five through seven? It says, "Now Lot, he was moving about with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents." But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together, and quarrelling arose. So what's happening? See you got to understand that in ancient times, whenever you had wealth, whenever there was a high level of security, it was always found in your livestock. It was found in your herds. It was found in your tents. Think about all of these things accumulated into your uh, Old Testament uh, financial portfolio. So what's happening is Abram, who's also rich, he had a lot of uh, uh, Old Testament financial stock, if you will. Uh, Lots was also growing as well. To the point, in verse 5 and 7, it says that it began to max out. That it was at a point where the land was too filled. Meaning that they were just abundantly flowing. There was not enough land to support it. To the point where now there is some conflict between Lot and Abraham. They began to quarrel. So we see the tension here. Two godly men loving and serving the Lord and, and growing in their, you know, their wealth and their security. But now it's just becoming a little bit too much in light of the mission that they were called to. So what does Abraham do in this text? Well, in this text, Abram, he, he takes some initiative. He says, all right, well, Lot, um, here's the scenario. Um, it looks like there's a lot of arguing going on. There's a lot of tension. We're trying to figure things out. I'm not sure if it's going to work out. So I think we have to figure something out. So Abram says, I think something's going to have to change. I think a decision has to be made. So in verse 9, what does Abram tell Lot? He specifically says, Lot. If you go left, because I think we gotta separate at this point, it's not gonna work out. So, so if you go left, I'm gonna go right. And if you go right, I'll go left. In other words, in this quarrel, uh, if you will, he's saying that there's a lot of drama right now. It's a little difficult. I'm gonna let you decide. And whatever you decide, I will wholeheartedly just honor your decision. I'm not going to ask any questions. You can take your talents elsewhere. I won't say a word. So what does Lot decide in this scenario? Look at verse 10 through 11. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zorah was well watered like the garden of the Lord like the land of Egypt. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. Now I want us to imagine this scenario just a little bit. So Abraham is given Lot two options. You can either go west or you can go east. But what is the scenario? It's essentially saying that there's two ends of the spectrum. That there's one end of the spectrum Lot can choose from and that is uncertainty. There's no security in this scenario. And at the other end of the side, there is security. There is wealth. There's an abundance of land. Well, if you think about what Lot's going to do in the situation, what do you think he's going to do? Just like you and I, we're going to go the safer route. Ten out of the times, we're just going to go with safety. You know, it's funny. I was kind of looking at verse 10 through 11, and I kind of just imagined this scenario where uh, uh, Lot's like looking at Abraham, and he's really just checking, you know, Abraham, is, this is it's kind of like a test right now. I mean, are you really, really sure you want me to choose because, huh, you know, the West, you know, like gunshots over there. There's a lot of violence. I'm not sure how I feel about that side. And on the other side, I see an abundance of life. I see a couple of white fences and a big house, a couple of cars, a couple of Teslas. Uh, you really want me to choose? You know, as funny as I'm picturing this scenario, verse 10 through 11 actually is really important because it's not just this in the moment decision. Verse 10 and 11 it actually helps us know more about Lot's unbelief in God's calling. And in the same way, how we are so likely to compromise our faith in real life situations. Because when you look at verse 10 through 11 in Lot's decision-making process, Lot decides to go to the east, right? What the east represents was abundance. It was security. It was life. It was financial security. And as he's going east, as he says, I'm going to go east, it's much more than just a surface level decision, it was a moment of compromise. Why? Because he's not just abandoning uh, Abraham, he's actually abandoning the mission that he was called to be about. Um, Robert Alter, he's uh, an expert in uh, Hebrew narrative, uh, and he's a uh, professor at Berkeley. He explains verse 10 as the interpretation of Lot's uplifted heart on the basis of what he saw so specifically what we see in verse 10 is that this land it specifically says that it reminds him of the garden of the lord what does that mean so if you know anything about the garden of the lord which we find specifically in genesis chapters one and two it was where god resided it was paradise It was where God was once fully with man. In other words, it represented perfect intimacy. It represented satisfaction. And it was the satisfaction that only God could give. So when Lot saw the land, and it was like the garden of the Lord, it represented all that he ever wanted. It was that moment where his Eyes lifted up just a little bit, where his jaw dropped just a little bit, his heart began to flutter. I'm not just talking about Shaboo, I'm talking about that one thing that you really do desire the most. It was that moment of awe. See, for Lot, when he sees his land, he sees it as the garden of the Lord. La is essentially saying, his heart is moving towards the land and is saying, if I just have enough land, if I just have enough livestock, I will be in complete harmony. If uh, I just have this security, my desires will now be satisfied and my life will now be complete. Well, now I will be satisfied. Now I will be fulfilled. Now you're wondering, you know, is God uh, against money? Of course not. You know, money was meant to be used as a means of grace. Is God against marriage? Of course not. He desires uh, and he ordains relationships to reflect covenantal oneness. Is God against children? Of course not. He calls you and I sons and daughters of Abba, Father. But, But for Lot, it wasn't just land. It was his garden. It wasn't just a little bit of security. It represented his entire life. See, the one thing the Bible says about sin is that it often leads really good things into things that become a little bit unhealthy because they become an ultimate thing, right? So things like your career, there's nothing wrong with a career, but when it becomes your everything, well, hence the problem right? Uh, All human beings, right? You and I, uh, we have this deep spiritual longing. And the problem is, is, we always try to find it somewhere else. You and I, we live our lives in a way that we're trying to get back to the garden. But we, in our foolishness, try to find our way back to the garden without the one that could bring us back to the garden, Right? We say, if I just become successful, if I get this one thing, well, then I will finally experience happiness, and then I will finally experience uh, fulfillment. But if you know anything about the Bible, you can't have the garden of the Lord except through the garden of the Lord. You know, can you and I honest, be just a little honest right now? Is that there's something about our wayward hearts. And it makes us want to find an, an alternative route to the garden. Besides the one that you can help us navigate us through the garden. You know, I, I don't know if I'm the only one. But uh, you know, what often uh, makes me realize how wayward and, uh, and how foolish and how prideful I am is sometimes just simply as Google Maps. You know, I'm on on the car, and I have my navigation up, and it's funny because when you, if you ever use Google Maps, right, it tells you uh, in real time where not to go, right? It tells you uh, of the traffic, it tells you where not to go, so it says because all of this is red, you need to go straight. But it's funny, right, even though you see, if it's not accordingly to what you think, I don't know if I'm the only one. You guys can judge me. My bad if I am. But I don't know. When I see that, in my mind, in my heart, I'm like, nah, that can't be right. So, you know, what do you do? You say, I'm going to ignore what's clearly ahead of me, and you, you go anyway. And then two minutes later, you're like, oh, my gosh, I repent. Like, you're in this moment. What did I do? You know, our unbelief, our lack of faith it always leads us to a wayward to something else. And it's this unbelief for Lot in this moment that makes him fall into his desires simply because of what his heart really wanted. And that is the danger of our desires. It leads us to an unfaithfulness if not careful. That that one good thing in your life can actually become an ultimate thing. And when it becomes an ultimate The Bible says that it will lead to a wayward path of overworking, uh, uh, enslavement to that thing, where you're just now more tired. Now you're more anxious, and now you're just a little bit more fearful. You know, in verses twelve and thirteen, it says as Lot moves towards away from the call and away from Abraham, he says he lives near Sodom. What do we know about Sodom? Is a city of wickedness that sinned greatly against the Lord. In fact, we find that in chapter 14, it would be Abraham that has to take a lot out of that suffering and out of that brokenness. Christian, what's the one thing in your life that makes you believe you can enter the garden of the Lord without God himself? What's the one thing in your life that gives you more purpose than it should? What is the one thing that is not God that? fulfills your life. See, in many ways, you and I are just like Lot. And you have to ask yourself, in what ways am I trying to get back to the garden? That is what we find in Lot. Now, in this text, what we see on the other hand is someone uh, that responds in a radically different way. And we see this through our second point, the faith of Abraham. Now, in this text, we see Abraham, and we see he's approaching the situation radically different from Lot. Look at verse 8 and 9 with me. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. I mean, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, then I will go to the left. It's really interesting about this text, is because. Um, Abraham, he lives in a patriarchal society, meaning it's a time where seniority and and age is everything, and that in this, he is the head of his tribe. And for Abraham to respond in a way where he's going to give up his rights, where he's going to give up all of his power, and he's going to offer it to Lot and say that this is your choice It's to say that it is a a radical faith, to say the least. Um, Christian author and speaker Tim Keller, he makes this great observation about what he could have done, that he could have responded in three different ways in this scenario. First, what could have Abraham done? He could have gone with Lot. He would have left Canaan, meaning he would have left his mission. And then what he would have, rather than the mission of God and commitment to the call, he would now have his friendship with Lot, and he would have all of the financial security. The second thing Abraham could have done was he could have kept all of the financial security for himself. If he wanted to, he could have left Lot for dead. That would have not been my choice. I don't know. Um, But what happens, the third option, the more unlikely option, he would keep the relationship with Lot in a selfless way, let me say that again, he kept, it, he kept the relationship in a selfless way because lots of times you and I, we want to keep relationships for very selfish purposes. But what do we see with Abraham? He, 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 he keeps the relationship with Lot in a selfless way where he's going to give up all of his security for the advancement, not only for Lot himself, but to retain the promise of God and for the very people of God. I mean, put yourself in Abraham's shoes, Right? You are in a position of authority. You have the option to have all of the security for yourself. You know, Would you really give it all up? You know, lots of my uh, closest friends right now, they're uh, becoming parents. Um, and it's this great joy that you kind of see unfold and process. And, but one of the most difficult things that they'll tell you, and they, they often tell me, is that, man, now... I realize that my life isn't mine. That all of the things that I love doing, I honestly can't do no more. All the sleep that I once had, I don't have no more. All of the nice things that I dearly desire, I have to give it all up. Because now, in this moment, my, my life isn't just mine. But my life is now for my my son and my daughter, and I have to sacrifice certain things for the security and advancement of that child. See, when you look at Abraham, he's responding in a very same way, in a godly manner, in a very faithful way, that he's responding to what God has actually called him to, that his core convictions was no longer about himself, but now is to be more like God, and being more like God, he's now going to relinquish his rights. And you're probably wondering, how is Abraham living in such a faithful way that God has called him to, right? Now, this is the thing where we're going to always have to combat our our religiosity and our religious tendencies, right? Is it just about God? Uh, uh, You know, is it all about Abraham just doing all of the right things and that's what's bringing him to faith? Actually, if you look at the life of Abraham, it's almost the complete opposite, I'm going to argue and I want to highlight that when you look at Abraham, it's his imperfection and his brokenness that allowed him to trust God in a more faithful way. What do I mean? See, prior to chapter 13, in chapter 12, when we see the calling of God, there's this one Hebrew word that actually connects chapter 12 and 13, and the one word uh, is kavod. And in this word kavod, it essentially means heavy. Now, one commentator says this about the significance of kavod. Because in, chapters, in chapter 12, verse 10, that word kavod, that heaviness, is actually referring to the heaviness of a famine. Right? So keep that in mind. Chapter 12, Kavod heaviness, there's famine. And then in chapter uh, 13, in verses 1 and 2, we see that there's also a Kavod heaviness, but is now referring to riches right? So in chapters 12, you see a kavod heaviness of, of, of um, famine, and now in chapter 13, you see a kavod heaviness of riches. And uh, what the commentator is trying to say is that when you see the word kind of go back and forth in chapters 12 and 13, it is to purposely to keep in mind of Abraham's failures. Now, you're wondering, we just talked about how godly Abraham actually was. What failures are we talking about? Well, in chapters 12, after he gets called by God to get sent out and to stay in the promised land, what happens is in chapter 12, verse 10, it says that there was a famine. And in this famine, Abraham, he, he, he gets scared. He gets a little shook. He, he panics. So what happens? He begins to wander. He says, I I can't stand here no more. There's a famine. I'm I'm tripping a little bit. I'm going to go elsewhere. So what does he do? He begins to leave. But what happens after he begins to leave? After he begins to leave, what do we see? We're introduced to one known as Pharaoh. And and with Pharaoh and his role, what happens after that? That, um, long story short, Abraham would place his wife Sarah into a, a compromising situation, pretty much sells her into prostitution just for a little bit of security. So you see Abraham and as he's kind of running away from the heaviness of the famine now his life is beginning to unravel now there's just a little bit more chaos and now there's a lot of brokenness so even a godly man like Abraham don't look so godly anymore but by grace we are saved. Amen. So what do we see? In this brokenness in this season we go back to our text right now, Genesis chapter 13, the heaviness becomes rich. How does heaviness become from famine to richness? Look at verse 2, two through 4 with me. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. Then Abram called on the name of the Lord. What were we saying? Is that Abram was not living by a greater work, he was essentially living by a greater faith. And what we see, the reason why it went from famine to riches is because he went back and he repented of his famine heaviness and his season. In other words, he went back to a root of repentance. He went back to faith. See, for you and I, I just want to let everyone know, there is nothing too big of a debacle that God's grace can't cover. But it is only if you understand and acknowledge that your sin And your suffering and your shame, it needs to be covered. See, if you want a deeper understanding of faith, church, you have to understand the significance of repentance. Faith and repentance, they go hand in hand. Two sides of the same coin. You can't have repentance without faith, nor can you have faith without repentance. And here it is, the faith in God For Abraham, that leads him to repentance of his wandering, but yet it is his repentance that is leading him to faith in renewing. See, Abraham tells us that when you place your foundation and true security in the sovereignty of God, well, then your life will look radically different where you now have a new outlook on life. Why? It is because through faith and repentance, God will turn your heaviest of famines... For the heaviest amount of riches. And when you believe in this truth, you can live accordingly to the riches of his promise. In him, then you can now have hope. In him, then you can have now joy. In him, then you can feel and experience renewal instead of the stubbornness that we constantly experience in season of hopelessness and spiritual depression. And family, I'm just simply asking, is this what you really desire? This is what you really believe? So what scripture says that if you believe in it, God will redeem and he will renew. And The reason why, the reason why you and I have that is because he promises it. And that is our third and final point. Look at verse 14 and 15 with me. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. (laughs) I want us to consider Abraham in this moment. You know, it's been quite the journey. Because what do we see is that he's called by God. But then you fast forward in his life, it's not necessarily a smooth sailing. <laughs> he shames the love of his life. Well, then he comes in repentance, but now his best friend, Lot, leaves him. Oh, the journey that it is for him. But time after time, what you see in Abraham's life is that God remained faithful. See, how do we know that God remains faithful is because in verse 14 and 15, he shows it to him. When you see verse 14 and 15, uh, this is taking place between Bethel and Ai, and this is where Abraham was residing, right? And where Abraham was residing, there is this enormous lookout where you can see everything on the mountaintop. And on this mountaintop, here's this moment where God gets Abraham. He says, I want you to walk with me right now, son. I'm going to take you somewhere. And as he's taking him somewhere, he shows him of that promise. And what he's saying as he's showing him this promise, he's saying, Son, trust in me. I'm showing you. I've already took you to the highest of highs. Do you see what I'm showing you, son? If I'm showing you all that you will have, don't you understand I'm going to walk with you in the moments? I know that life has brought us to a place, maybe for us, that our head isn't held so high because we're not really seeing the mountaintops, but we're just kind of going straight towards whatever that we're seeing with not a lot of hope. I know some of us moving forward may not look so good. And if that's you right now, God is just simply saying, journey with me. Because I want to show you to the mountaintop that there is something much greater ahead. And see, what God is reminding Abraham on the mountaintop is a promise. And what we see is that the same promise given to Abraham that there will be a son The reason why you and I can cling on to the very promise of God is that he also promises us a son. See, centuries after this account of Abraham, There would also be a son. But we are talking about the true son, which we see in Matthew chapter 4. Why am I highlighting Matthew chapter 4? Because in Matthew chapter 4, this son would also be taken to the mountaintop. However, his conversation would not be uh, with God the Father, but his conversation would actually be with Satan. And Satan takes Jesus to the mountaintop. But what does... Satan tell Jesus, chapter 4, verse 8, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. What does he say? All this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. See, the great irony is that what Satan was offering, Jesus already had. But what Satan was promising is that it would be given without the call, that it would be without the call to pain, That it would be without the call to suffering and the wrath on the cross that it was going to be foreseen for Jesus. How does Jesus respond in verse 10? Away from me, Satan, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In other words, Jesus is taking to the mountaintop and he says, I have come to fulfill a call. I have to come to fulfill the call of being the suffering servant, which we see in Isaiah 53, to fulfill a prophecy. And yes, it's going to cost of losing everything, that I'm going to give up my authority, my glory, and my security with the Father, but for the sake of you and I, that I have to pay the infinite debt of sin so that you and I can be set free, that you and I, we can be forgiven and we can be renewed in the promise of God. Jesus is the greater Abraham. Because Abraham lets go of his wealth to keep his relationship with Lot, Jesus would give up the ultimate wealth, lose his relationship with his father so that you and I can now have a relationship with the father. Jesus went up to the high mountaintops and lost everything that was once his possession so that you and I could gain access to the mountaintops and receive what was promised. See, it's because of this, friends, that you and I can live boldly. That you and I can now live with a greater outlook of hope because we have a promise that is given to us. And that promise is signed and sealed on the cross. And it's also the reminder that nothing in your life is in vain that in your life because what we see in a promise that there is no suffering that is meaningless there is no pain that is purposeless. there are no tears that are not seen there are no cries are not being heard because god promises that he is with us and he is for us and if he is for us well then what can possibly be against us See, it is the promise of God through Jesus that allows us to live in faith, knowing that there will be a day when we will be with God in the garden. So, if you are in Him, just know that He's bringing you home. And as He's bringing you home, He's being very gracious. He takes you to the mountaintops, and He allows you to see, He allows you to hope. He allows you to experience renewal. He takes you to the mountaintops. Verse 17, and I'll close our time. Verse 17, God says, Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. Beloved, as we close our time, the walk is long. The journey is can be difficult but walk because he's with you and he's with you in every moment because he is with you in every length he's with you step by step join me in prayer this morning